Well, good morning, Red Hills Church. How are you doing this morning? Good. Good to see you. Welcome at our church. Uh, I love to say this. I haven't said it for a while, but it's okay to not be okay. And uh, you can come as you are. My hope and my prayer is that you're changed by Jesus. That is our goal at Red Hills Church, to lead you closer to be changed by Jesus. And we welcome everyone online. Can we give it up for everyone watching online? Come on. Come on. Did you know that 50% of our church is still watching, engaging online? So uh, we welcome you here. We're so glad that you're with us. Uh, how many George Fox students are in the room? George Fox students. Is this your last Sunday before Christmas break? All right. All right. Is finals week this next week? All right, I'll be praying for you. I uh, will see you on the flip side in the new year. Uh, and uh, when you come back in January, we're starting a new series. We're going to do 21 days of prayer. So can't wait to see you then. Well, we're in a series called Do You See What I See? And it is simply about this. It is about putting ourselves into the shoes in, of the characters in the Bible story. Because oftentimes, the way that we have viewed the story has not always been the way that the Bible has told the story. Last week I talked about five myths or misconceptions about the Christmas story, the biblical story that a lot of people often get wrong. And this series is about getting a fresh perspective because this is what I believe. If you can begin to see the gospel clearly and Jesus clearly, then all of a sudden things in your own life become clear. And so if you've been hazy about where you are in life and your direction, direction and your calling and so many things, then this is the series that can unlock some of that for you. This series is taking the Christmas story in scripture in, in chapter uh, Luke chapter uh, two today. That's where we're going to be. But before I jump into the, the scripture, I want to talk uh, about Christmas for a while. How many of you, by show of hands, are already done with your Christmas shopping? Raise your hand. All right. Overachievers. You guys get straight A's in school. You got straight A's in school. How many of you, how many of you wait till the last minute to get, all right, there's my people. Uh, or you just do it online, right? You have until December 22nd or something from Amazon. Uh, well, for, th this is for you. So if you already have your Christmas presents, I'm not talking to you. But if you haven't got your Christmas present, I have some ideas for you. Are you ready for some ideas? Okay. Um, so this is for those of you who have a man in your life, maybe a husband or a father or maybe a son who's really disorganized. Does anybody know anybody that's super disorganized? Uh, and so I found this gift that would be perfect for a guy who does not know how to organize their life. Here it is. We have the Visorganizer. Um, so you can... You can get that. It's like a fanny pack on your bill of your, uh, of your cap. I know, you're loving that. Some of you, you need that. If you lose your keys and you lose your wallet, this is perfect for you. You know, in the pandemic, there's been a, a lot of uh, new parents in the pandemic, right? There's been a, like a little mini baby boom. How many of you know that? I predicted it in March of 2020. I mean, I said this is going to happen. Everyone's at home. They're bored. Just what happens is a bunch of kids. And so, uh, but, but one thing I've noticed about uh, about parents in this uh, post-pandemic is that the idea of helicopter parenting is taken to a new level. How I many you know what I'm talking about? Uh, all right, some of you don't. You know what a helicopter parent is. Very protective. Uh, and we're all protective of our children. Uh, but it's, it's at a new level. So if you are very protective of your children, 
Uh, or maybe you have a spouse that's very protective of your children. I have a gift for you. Uh, when your little tyke learns to ride a bike, this will be the gift. It's for you, not for them. It is a, here you go, bicycle seat belt. <laughs> Just to protect them. Some of you are still wondering if that's real. A lot of Christmas, <laughs> it's, taking, it's just taking a little longer to roll through. Uh, a lot of times Christmas is about toys. Uh, I, I want to show you, I, I got some toys as a kid. And, um, and I, one of my favorite toys that I got for Christmas, and this, I grew up in the 80s. I'm a child of the 80s. Uh, it was Micro Machines. How many of you know, remember Micro Machines, all right? I got a picture. Uh, I still have my set of Micro Machines. Yes, I still have them in the case. I, didn't, I, I know. And so uh, my kids, and if they want to play with them, they have to ask to get them uh, down. But they're all still organized. Like, I had all of them until I had my kids play with them. But uh, I had... I had micro machines as a kid. Uh, there's another toy I got uh, as a child. I'm the youngest of four. And I remember asking my mom for a baby brother. I want a, a, a little brother, all right? If you're the youngest, you're always teased. You're always picked on. Maybe you're babied and cherished, but you don't realize that. As, as a, a young child, everyone picks on you. Uh, and so I asked for a baby brother. And my mom, instead of giving me a real baby brother, she got me a doll for Christmas, all right? <laughs> How many of you remember my buddy? I know, I, a few of you. All right, so she gave me a doll. She sent this to me a couple years ago as a joke. She gave him a, a haircut. And by the way, it, it, just think about this. My mom for Christmas gave me a two-foot boy doll. This is in the 80s when, you remember that movie Chucky? Was out. I mean, I went to bed scared every single night. I thought this thing was going to crawl out of my closet and attack me with a knife. I, I want to show you, this is probably one of the most, I know some of you, my life is making sense to you right now, all right? <laughs> I've had a lot of trauma I'm still working through. Uh, one, of, one, of the, one of the best toys of all time, uh, it's actually in the Toy Hall of Fame. It is a Viewmaster. Did anybody have one of these as a child? Uh, a view master, all right, we got some hands. This has been around since 1939. And a view master is you put these discs in and it changes the way you see and the way you view life. It changes your perspective so you can put a different disc in and you can see something different. And I think this symbolizes what we know about real life that we all have a perspective and we all have a view and it depends on the filter in which we look through. See, we can look through several filters. We can look through the filter of our past and the way you view things is often dependent on the filter that you have. You can view uh, things through the filter of your present and both of them greatly predict or dictate your view of the future. Now, here's why this is important, and this is kind of the theme of this series, Do You See What I See, is this. How you view life determines how you do life. How you perceive the world determines how you interpret the world, and in effect determines how you live in the world. And I said this before, but it's it warrants reminding people of, uh, again, is because there is truly no one who is unbiased in life. 
No one is truly objective. I know sometimes maybe you're in school and you're like, hey, let's objectively look at this and take ourselves out of our own experiences. But the reality is no one is purely objective. You view life through the lens and filter of your experiences uh, and they change and alter how you view life. And so our filters through life are layered on our experiences. And so you may have positive filters, a lot of times I've been talking about the negative ones, but there's positive filters. Maybe you grew up in a healthy family, in a Christ-centered, gospel-centered home, and uh, you have a, uh, a, a positive filter in your, in your life because oftentimes your filters are handed to you by your parents. But a lot of times we have negative filters, the painful, hurtful experiences in our life. And the negative ones are the ones that become a problem. Here's why. Because they alter reality in such a way uh, that cause us to react in certain ways. Let me give you an example of a filter in which maybe some of you, some of us have lived. If you've ever gone to a job interview or maybe you've taken a test and, and you left that interview or you left that test and you just said, I completely bombed that. I did awful on that test. And then you find out a week later that you passed with flying colors or you got the job. All right, that's a filter. Somewhere along the way, someone handed you an experience that taught you or caused you to think that you were going to fail. All right, Here, here's another one. If, uh, I run into this one a lot as a pastor, uh, but oftentimes if you want to confront somebody, right? Confrontation, loving confrontation is harder than it's ever been in my lifetime, all right, because uh, if you tell somebody something that they don't like, it's easy for them to leave. And so if someone comes to you and they confront you, confront you about something you're doing and immediately you get defensive, immediately you get angry, immediately you say, well, no, this is your fault. I do this because of you. You have a filter. Somebody has given you a filter and experience that causes you to look at things differently. For, for me, one, one filter that I had uh, is a filter that was given to me um, throughout my childhood. I think it probably only happened once or twice, but when I was younger, I was scared to lift my hand in class to give an answer to the question. I don't know if anyone else is like that, but I didn't want to be wrong because I remember one time I lifted my hand and I was wrong and I was embarrassed and I was shamed by being wrong, all right? Uh, and so that caused me to live through my life with this filter. That if I say something wrong, everyone's going to laugh, people are going to, you know, find it funny, and I'm going to be embarrassed, I'm going to be ashamed. You see, your perception really is your reality. And if you can't change your reality, then you've got to change your perspective. How you view life determines how you do life. And this filter that I want to talk about today, I'm calling the look at filter. The look at filter. And the, and the look at filter is the filter we get from looking at the people and experiences and circumstances in our life. Um, we look at our circumstances. We look at our past. We look at our relationships. And we get identity and we define our lives by the things that we look at. We look at our finances. We look at our choices. We look at our career. We look at our education. We look at our school, on and on and on. And the look at filter becomes the primary way in which we view life. Psychologists call this, uh, um, they call this cognitive distortion. And cognitive distortion happens when your mind convinces you to believe negative things about yourself and your world that are not necessarily true. 
It's an exaggerated pattern of thought, not based on the fact. And it leads you, consequently, to think things in a negative way, that they're, they're more negative and not what they really are. And so when you view life through the look at filter, this is oftentimes when people respond to life with greed, with insecurity, with fear or anxiety, or even control. And now some of you are thinking, Aaron, I thought this was a Christmas series. <laughs> what does this have to do with Christmas? Here's my point, everything, everything. Because Christmas is about the incarnation. It is about God coming to earth in the form of, the, of a man. And it is about giving us a new perspective and a new view on life. It's causing us to have a new filter in which we see the world. And I wanna talk about how we can go from the look at filter to a different filter, to a gospel-centered filter, and that we look and interpret the world not through our own lens of negative experiences, but maybe through a new one. And so we're looking at different characters in this, do you see what I see? Last week we looked at Mary. When Mary faced an uncertain situation, she could have responded with fear and anxiety, but instead she responded to faith. Today we're going to look at a, another set of characters that came into contact with Jesus, and when they did, they were changed. It is the, the characters of the shepherd. So turn with me to Luke chapter 2. I'm going to read verses uh, 8 through 14. Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 14. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace to those on whom his favor rests. I want to talk about the shepherds for a moment. The shepherds in the Bible have always held a special place in God's heart. I don't know if you've read that, if you noticed that or picked up on that. But some of our most beloved characters were shepherds, right? We, we talked recently on the, the Journey Home series. We talked about Moses, that when Moses went out to Midian into the desert, one of the first things he did was he became a shepherd. He shepherded the, the flocks of his father-in-law, Jethro. We know this in the story uh, of King David. Before David was king, uh, he was tending sheep and goats in the field. He was tending flocks. He was a shepherd. And so shepherd is often the pathway to greatness in the Bible. It is, it, but, but here's the thing about being a shepherd. A shepherd is not a high position. It's not a noble position. There is nothing to suggest that people in, the, in antiquity think, oh, you're a shepherd. That's great. How much do you make? He must make six figures or she must make a lot of money. Like you got a great retirement. No, 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 no. There is nothing that suggests that there is anything great about being a shepherd. In fact, it is a low position. It is a humble position. It is a lonely position. It is hard work. These are people spending their lives in the desert 
all right, in the desert. And if you know another thing about the biblical story, the desert is often the place where people experience the most pain in life. It's the wilderness journey. Like you read through that. Jesus experienced temptation in the desert. And so these shepherds spent their entire lives in the desert. They spent their lives in the desert. It was humble work, lonely work, frustrating work, nomadic work. A few years ago, I got to uh, visit Israel on a three-week tour of Israel. And, uh, and as I was in Israel, as we were driving into the Negev, which is southern Israel, it's the desert or the wilderness in Scripture in Israel, the Negev, that you'd see these Bedouin shepherds. I actually have a picture of them. And the Bedouin shepherds, uh, they've been in Israel for generations. Uh, and, and this is, a, I mean, this is like happening today. Like I, I, as, even right now, I mean, there are shepherds that are living uh, nomadically. They, they set their tents up and you'd look at it and you think it's such a hard Life and the, the Bedouin community is a very impoverished community, um, and uh, and they just kind of have gotten moved around. But this is their livelihood to raise sheep, and, and and look at the landscape. It's like where are these sheep eating? All right, I mean they're 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 finding places in the desert where they can feed their sheep. And when I imagine the shepherds in Scripture, I imagine the Bedouin community. I imagine. This people group that is impoverished, is working a hard life, is a difficult life. And God does something incredible in their story. This is another reason why I think that it, man didn't write the story. Because he wouldn't have used people like shepherds to confirm that Jesus was born. Because they weren't the most noble people of society. They had a hard life. And I imagine these shelter, these shepherds have a filter. It's the look at filter. I imagine they've lived their life the same as their parents have lived their life and they're out in the field and they're looking at one another. Maybe they're around a campfire, maybe they're in their tent, but they're, they're looking at their circumstance. They're looking at each other. They're looking at their, their sheep and their goats. They're looking at the, the job that they have to do the next day. They're looking at where they're going to go to feed their sheep. They're looking at their circumstance. Their life has been the same for generations. And then one moment changes it. One moment changes it. And they went from looking at to looking up. If you can't change reality, but only can change your perspective, then the question is this, how do we change our perspective? You can write this down if you're taking notes. To change my perspective, I must change what I look at. I must look up instead of looking at. To change my perspective, I must change what I look at. I must look up instead of looking at. Everything in our life is designed for us to look at. Everything the way this world is set up and our culture is set up, it's for us to look horizontally or even to look down at our own lives. There is not much in life that causes us to look up. And so we spend, uh, we spend our lives looking at. We keep our heads down or we look horizontally. But God wants to change our view and he wants to change our perspective. He wants to give you a new filter. And the only one to, way to change the look at filter in your life is to look up at God. God gave the shepherds something new to look at. God intervened and gave them a new way to view life. L listen, we, we all 
are a mirror that reflects something. In, in fact, I, I've done this teaching before on the image of God, the Imago Dei. We find this in Genesis 1. It says that God created a male and female in the image of God. In the image of God, in its very nature, means to reflect, right? To image something, to, to, to reflect something, to mirror something. And the way God designed humans to be is for us to reflect and radiate his glory. In fact, you could say that the first commandment in Scripture, which is to go into all the, the earth and, and, and multiply, is to be a reflection of God's glory into all parts of the world and all parts of the earth so that we can image or we can mirror his presence. You see, we are a mirror that reflect what we look at. And so if you are looking at your circumstance, if you are only looking at your finances, if you are only looking at your education, if you are only looking at your bank account or your career or whatever it is in your life, you are going to begin to reflect the very thing that you look at. You are a mirror. What you pay attention to in life, you start reflecting. But when you look up and allow God to define who you are, your circumstances no longer defines you. God does. God begins to define you. You become a reflection of what God designed you to be. What's bigger in your life? Is it God or is it your circumstances? What is bigger? Is it, is it the, the creator of the universe or, or is it your circumstances? Of course, everyone here would say it's God. But so many times we allow our circumstances to be bigger in our life. We allow our problems to become bigger. And this is what we do. When we only look at our problems and our circumstances, we begin to worship them. And you become what you worship. You become what you give praise to and what you give your attention to. We worship our experiences around us often rather than worshiping God. And we do it without even knowing. And when you begin to change your perspective, when you begin to look up and get your identity, your calling, everything about you, your joy, when you begin to get it, get it from God, your perspective and filter begins to change. And all of a sudden, you get more awe in your life. You have more wonder in your life. L listen, I think all of us could have a little more wonder in our life, couldn't we? Um, especially in this season. I mean, it's been such a difficult season to navigate through that we often spend more time talking, posting, blogging about the issues in the world than about what God is doing in our own lives. And we all need more amazement in our life. I came across this picture. I'll show it in a minute. But I came across this picture of Andre the Giant. How many remember Andre the giant. He's most famously known uh, in the movie Princess Bride, but he is a, a, a professional wrestler. He's seven foot four, over 300 pounds. I mean, the guy was massive. And you can imagine that everywhere he went, people stared and people looked at him. I mean, I, I ran into, uh, I was in uh, Salt and Straw in Lake Oswego. Brianna and I were on a date, and we saw one of the Blazers, the seven-foot Blazer. I think he just got traded. But, uh, and, and he like, I mean, he was huge. You're like looking up at him. Andre the Giant had four inches on him. I mean, he was 
massive. And so everywhere he went, people stared and people looked at him. And they looked in amazement. And there was this moment where a photographer caught this picture of this little boy staring up at Andre the Giant. I have it on the screen. <laughs> just look at his face. I mean, he's just in awe and he's just in wonder at this massive human. And I think that when we begin to look at God, we can have this expression. Maybe it's not on your face, but maybe it's in your heart. Instead of looking at things, we need to look up. We need to change our view and change our perspective. If there's, an any, uh, if there's a time that, that, that we should be looking up, the time is now. It's in this season. It's in this moment where we need to get our attention off of ourselves, off of politics, off of everything, off of the pandemic, off of the vaccine, off of all that stuff, and begin to look up. And begin to get a new filter and a new identity and a new view. But the reality is, is that some people are scared to look up. A lot of people are scared to, to look up. Because maybe you view God uh, as disappointed or mad at you. Maybe you view God as uh, like maybe he, he wants to punish you. And so you would never look at God with the wonder and amazement like this little boy looked at Andre the giant because you think that you've messed up in life that God is so disappointed in you that if you do begin to look up and get close to you, he's just going to shake his head at you. And maybe some of you grew up because oftentimes our view of God is we get that from our earthly father. Maybe you had a father who was a perfectionist. Maybe you have a father who has always disappointed you that you could never measure up to, that would just always maybe shake his head at you and you could never do good enough. Well, let me say God is not like that. God is not like that. God is not a God who is disappointed in you or mad at you. He is a loving father that wants to give wonder, wants to, to, to give his glory, wants to give joy to his children. God wants you to look at him, not so that you can do the right things, but so that you can be the right kind of person, so that he can begin to change you, so that, so that you can begin to reflect his glory. I love what Hebrews says, Hebrews 12, one, it says this, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles us and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Listen, fix your eyes on Jesus the pioneer and perfecter of your faith. One translation says, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. Our gaze should be on Jesus because he's the one that writes our story. He is the author of your life. Our attention should be on Jesus. Our, uh, our eyes should be on God. When you fix your eyes on him, when you look up instead of looking at, you begin to be changed. I want to get that picture of Andre the Giant back up there if we could get that. We looked at the boy's face. 
This, this, this happened probably a thousand times, but did you see Andre's face? He's just looking down, smiling. I, I, if it was me, I mean, this, this might get old after a while, right? Maybe today someone would throw their headphones on and just ignore the world around them. But he took time to look down and smile. So, some of you need to know this. God, when God looks at you, he smiles. When God looks at you, he looks at you as the most loving, compassionate father, and he smiles. He's a father that is proud of you, not because you've done anything special, but because of who you are. He's a father that wants to give worth to you. He's a father that wants to lavish you with love and lavish you with grace. He's a father that wants to be close to you. He's a father that wants to give you his glory and give you his joy. He's a father that wants you to be amazed by his presence, that your life overflows in worship. He's a father that is proud. He's a father that loves no matter what. And our response in this season is to go from looking at to looking up, to looking at the world around us to looking up at Jesus. And I'm convinced that our lives will change in this next season if we, more of us, look up. And I want to be a church that is not defined by what they are against, but I want to be a church that is so passionately in love with Jesus. I don't want to be a church that is known for what they believe politically. I want to be a church that's known for loving Jesus. Our eyes should be fixed on him because he is the only one who can author your faith. You've been trying to narrate and, and, and author your own story. And the question is, how is that working out? God wants to begin to write your story and write your narrative and change your story. It's time to look up in this season. I wanna ask everyone to stand with us this morning. We're going to go into a song and the worship team can begin to come up here. And we're going to bring our attention to God. And that's going to be our, our response this morning to, to look up at Him and, and give Him praise. But I want to give you some practical things how you could look up in this season. Some things that we as a church are very intentional about and causing us as a staff, as pastors to look up, but wanting our church to begin to look up. And so there are a few things that, that we do that cause us to look up instead of looking at. One of the first things that we do is we have this class called Next Steps, which is about getting connected and known at Red Hills Church. But all of that leads you to what we ultimately desire for everyone is to be part of a tribe. And when you spend time around people who are also looking up, they help you begin to look up. In the beginning of February 2022, we're gonna start our new term of tribes. And we're also gonna do this. I mentioned it at the beginning, but one thing, one of the greatest things that we can do to cause us to look up is to pray. Is to begin to pray and find our relationship with Jesus outside of the everyday, outside of even once a week. And so one thing that we're going to do this year, we started this about three years ago, is we're going to do 21 days of prayer and fasting. 
And we're going to turn our attention, we're going to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And we're going to take that time, we're going to start January 10th for 21 days, and as a church, we're going to look up. And we're going to start 2022 off right by looking up instead of looking at. Let me pray and then we'll go into this song. Heavenly Father, thank you for your son Jesus sending him into the world so that we could fix our eyes on him and not ourselves and our own circumstance. And Lord, I pray that anyone here struggling with a circumstance, a pain, a frustration of their past, God, that we can begin to look at you and give you praise and give you glory. God, we love you and we praise you in your name. And everyone said, amen.